Good evening, and welcome to episode six of 514 Beltway to Bytown podcast. My name is Jeff, and with me is my longtime friend, Todd. This podcast is recorded remotely, with me being in D.C. and Todd in Canada's capital city of Ottawa. Remember, everything we say could be fact or fiction. How are you doing this week, Todd? Doing pretty good, Mr. Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, you know, this is one week where we're, we're going into this with no preconceived discussion notes, uh, no topics preset. We were supposed to have our good friend Sean Jaffrey on, but... Uh, Unbeknownst to us, he had a baby a little bit early, so congrats to him and his great wife, Kelly, and we'll have him on next week. So what's good with you this week, Todd? Well, I think our big value proposition, Jeff, (laughs) is continuity. We're consistent. You want content every week, we're going to give it to you. But uh, we are going to be unscripted this week, so I think we're going to talk a little bit Last Dance, uh, Chicago Bulls, Chapter 5 and Chapter 6. Talk about what we're both watching on uh, streaming or on television. Uh, just how we're keeping passing time amid COVID-19, what's going well, where we're having some challenges. Yeah, I like it. Let's, let's, before we get into the last dance, which obviously we, we like, and we'll get into, we had a, the passing of a great football coach today, Don Shula passing at 90 years old. Um, and that got me thinking, where do you think Don Shula ranks in the all time NFL coaching, you know, rankings? Well, I think you look at the elite coaches um, they've had success in more than one stop. So, I mean, above and beyond that, he he's the only NFL coach with an undefeated season. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. And he's had long-term success at the Dolphins and the Baltimore, um, mm-hmm. the Colts. So, I think you know, you got to put him probably in the top five. All right. So, good. Your top five. That's what I did, you know, mentally as I was doing some things today. What's your top five NFL all-time coaches? Oof. Okay. I uh, I think Belichick, we give it to him. Yeah, the six I, Super Bowls, uh, success at Cleveland. I think yeah. Parcells, um, right. Paul Brown, obviously, because mm-hmm. you know even before the NFL existed, he did nine titles back to back. Like uh, I think uh, that certainly would uh, deserve the nod. Yeah. Um, and then when you get past that, yeah, you, you certainly I think you could consider a Chuck Knoll. At that point, I think it's a toss up between a Shula, a Chuck Knoll. Uh, Vince Lombardi. Yeah, I, I'm going to go definitely with Belichick and Parcells. Parcells is the the true program rebuilder. You know, aside from the Giants, he turned the Jets around. He turned the Patriots around. He made the Cowboys legit. You, you can't argue with anything Bill Parcells did. Belichick's number one overall. I'm going to put Bill Walsh on there. I think he completely changed the game with um, his offense. So Bill Walsh is there. His coaching tree is can't be touched. Three Super Bowls. Then one that I think a lot of people forget is Joe Gibbs. Three Super Bowls with three different starting quarterbacks. I'm going to put him on on the list. And then, you know, you went Paul Brown. There's Vince Lombardi. To me, it's Paul Brown, Vince Lombardi, Don Shula. I'm going to give Don Shula the nod only because he was alive. You know, as I grew up, I didn't know Paul Brown or Lombardi. Those are just mythological figures or, or people in our minds. So I'm going to put Shula up there for the undefeated season. And then I was thinking, who's the most underrated coach? And my most underrated coach is Marv Levy. Yeah, I agree. Four Super Bowls, plus he won uh, in the CFL as well with the Montreal Alouettes. Yeah. So, no, I agree uh, wholeheartedly. I think yeah. Jimmy Johnson you could yeah. deserves conversation. I think, you know, uh, both at the collegiate level and the, the pro level, he has success. So, again, yeah, I and as it, a player, right? National yeah. championship as a player at Arkansas, coach at Miami, and coach with the Cowboys. Again, like for me, the coaches that have done it in multiple places – because you could, I mean, Bill Walsh, yes, obviously, 
I know the offensive West Coast guys would uh, hate me for saying it, but I think it's hard to know, right? Because, I mean, he didn't have success at Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Um, comes the 49ers, you know, I mean, he had the vision to kind of build the organization and the offense he wanted with Montana and then Young. Um, but what if he didn't have those quarterbacks, right? Like, we don't know. It's hard to tell, yeah. right? It's hard and to and tell. that, you know, that brings me back to what I got into last week with the Phil Jackson. Like, what if you didn't have Michael? What if you didn't have Kobe? Obviously, the great coaches somewhere along the line have great players, right? I mean, they, they go hand in hand. A, a great coach with a terrible organization or with, with no team is not going to win. I mean, I think if you and I walked onto the Alabama campus today, we're guaranteed to get eight wins, right? <laughs> Knowing what we know. <laughs> no, so, you know but, what I mean? But great I, players are going to take you somewhere. But the great coaches will win despite lack of talent. I, like, I agree to some extent, but there is a limit to this lack of talent. You know, at some point, like, we talk about these guys. Belichick had Brady, Walsh, Montana, and Young. Bill Parcells, you know, he had Sims, he had Romo. Not superstars, but he built with defense in the run game. Shula obviously had Marino and Greasy, right? All these guys had, had talent around them, especially at the quarterback position. And, you know, even Marv Levy, right? Uh, there, there has to be talent around to some extent or else – the great coaches will fail. No, agreed. Matt. Yeah. Maybe we add, uh, time will tell, but we may be adding Andy, Andy Reid to that list. I think. Yeah, I, you know, he's definitely on the way up. And uh, with Mahomes, I mean, what's he going to do? Nothing but win, right, for the next decade or so. So there's no doubt he might make his way up there. Uh, let's get into it. What do you think? You, I know you had to watch it this morning. You're in Canada. You're 12-plus hours behind when it comes to the, the Jordan episodes. What would you think? I loved it. I think uh, as we go further along in the series, it gets better and better. Um, just all the moving pieces. Um, starts off right off the bat with Kobe Bryant, right, in their yeah. relationship. Uh, fast forward to the 1998 All-Star game. You have an upstart, you know, like uh, Kobe Bryant, 19 years old in the league, uh, you know, making a name for himself, going against the old grizzled veteran. Um, and it kind of built on, you know, the, the, past, the, the past episodes where we had that transition from Larry and Magic to Jordan's generation, right? And now you kind of see it going full circle in the competition with uh, the young Kobe Bryant. I think that started off really well. I think all the dream team footage was uh, really interesting, right? Like they had actually had that scrimmage footage uh, where you see kind of magic's got the old guard and has all the, the dream team players he wanted, he wanted with Larry. And then uh, the young, again, the younger players with Michael and the 92 uh, Olympics. That was kind of captivating. And then just the whole social commentary piece, right? Like they, uh, I don't think they shied away from the criticism that Jordan's kind of had in the past kind of similar to Tiger Woods that, you know, he hadn't been vocal on social issues. So to hear from like, uh, you know, former President Obama and like Dr. Todd Boyd, uh, I think that added a, a different piece you probably most uh, viewers probably weren't expecting. Also touching on the gambling, which I think a lot of people were curious about. Um, so a lot, of moving, a lot of moving pieces, but definitely more and more interesting as we go along. So I'm going to take a bit of a different opinion. Like I, I obviously love documentary. I think it's fantastic. But I think you nailed it. They're touching on a lot of issues, but I found these last two, they're not going deep on any of these. I think the Jordan gambling thing, that needs to be an episode in itself. That's a huge part of his persona. You know, there's talk about how his dad somehow got tangled up into his gambling. Obviously, he was playing golf with a known criminal. There's more to it, and I don't think they dug. Uh, The other part that I found was especially with Horace Grant, you know, they blame him for leaking information, right. To the Jordan rules. Yeah. Book. The Sam Smith book. Yeah. But, and then they didn't go anywhere with it. You know, he's like, I didn't do it. BJ Armstrong was like, well, I don't think it was just him. And then the story was over. I, I wanted more. I want to see how that affected their relationship later on. It was just 
passed over. So there's some things I like, but I find that there's a lot to put into these documentaries. They're not even finished doing the last two episodes. They're still in the process of editing. And I think they're trying to get it all done and cram it, cram it all in there, the whole story. And, you know, maybe it needed to be 12 episodes. Like, I, I just want a little more. I want a, a little bit more on some of the more interesting topics. Well, we'll see where it goes. Like, I mean, they haven't, uh, they haven't discussed his father's death yet, right? So, right. And we don't know how right. that, you know, if there's going to be any linkages, if any, to the, uh, to the gambling. So that'll be, like yeah. I said, that'll be interesting to see. Um, I think the, for me, the dream team footage, like I know, again, how significant is the dream team um, in the big picture of things, but they have the whole crew coach piece as well. So you're right. There's a lot. I like that. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of moving parts, but I think uh, it's kind of, you know, trying to please everybody. But I think there's so many, so many dynamics to the, like the, that bulls run that they have to, you know, work, include as much of it as they can. Right. The best part I feel was looking at Jordan in his hotel room and as an outsider realizing this might not be the life that I would want, you know, the fame, as soon as he walks out of anywhere, right. He walks out of his hotel room. There's mobs waiting for him, the cameramen on buses everywhere. There's just no peace for him. And, you know, we, we think these superstars have it all. They don't have it all. Right. I mean, they have all the money, they have all the fame, but they have no peace. Michael, Michael really had no peace at the end of this. You could see he was stepping away you know, Jerry Krause was forcing his hand in a sense, but he wanted to step away. He was done. He needed a break mentally. Well, you hear the comment, to, the comment that they made that Magic Johnson apparently said, like, in the booth, right? Like, that he said, like, if the media does not, uh, you know, relinquish some of the pressure, you know, like some of the, the constant pressure uh, that they were putting on Jordan, he would, yeah. he, he rightly predicted that he would step away prematurely, right? And Right, right. And his father had to step in at one point, right, and do an interview or something for him. He needed a bit of a buffer or shield. And when you're Michael Jordan, there is no buffer. You're expected to be out front every night. I also did think it was interesting when he was in the Atlanta City Casino the night before a playoff game. And, you know, he says he was home by midnight. Reports are he was still gambling at 1.30 or 2.30. You know, I, it doesn't matter. But I just think there's more to the story. And they just kind of let that one go. So... You know, if that happened today, and we, you know, I've mentioned it before, some of these things that he does playing golf with his opponents, if that happened today, and again, I'll use LeBron, oh my God, Todd, like he'd be crucified. Yeah, but the right? difference is, again, Jordan, you know, even down, yeah, even yeah. down against, the, you know, a physical series versus the Knicks, you know, he, yeah. he, he produces. I, I would love uh, more on the Knicks and the Bulls. I, I, you know, growing up, that was a huge, uh, it was an event television for me watching Michael play Starks and Ewing. Yeah. That was incredible. So I'd love more of that. That was, that was great. And Spike Lee, you know, I think one thing we, them from the front. we missed today is he said, like we've heard a few times, right. With both the Pistons and the Knicks, we've heard the word twice hate. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I would say it's yeah. something we should aspire for in professional sports, but it is a little bit refreshing compared to now where, you know, these kids have grown up playing in AAU summer <laughs> leagues, all like, you know, yeah. know each other, like, you know, they're, they're talking like, you know, with their Beats headphones on before the game and like, you know, like high five. Yeah, trading, trading jerseys after the loss. Right? Like, and, yeah. something really, like, yeah. you know, it's something refreshing about this, like the early 90s basketball, like where, you know, like literally, yeah. you know, like Charles Oakley and Anthony Mason are literally trying to kill like Scotty Pippen. Like, right. Right. Uh, there's no doubt the game was tougher. You know, we say that in all sports, but you just watch the footage. No zone defense really back then. And it was just coming to the paint. You're going to get hammered. I don't know. You you had to be a little bit tougher back then. The guys were just well. There different. was hand checks too, so, right? Like there was like the rules. The yeah. rules were different too, right? But uh, yeah, 
I'd say the low point for me was Justin Timberlake pining about like how he used to buy Jordans doing his papers. Yeah. I was like, okay, so you got, you know, Sam Smith, who wrote the Jordan rules, you got uh, Will Bond, you got Obama, you got, you know, any, any major, like uh, Ahmad Rashad, like, you know, like major Marv Albert, like major media people who are insightful knowledge on basketball. And then they, they interspace that with Timberlake basically saying how he did his paper with Bond yeah. Jordans. It's like, do the math, buddy. You were born in 1981. Like you're 39 <laughs> years old. Like, you go out and buy the first pair yeah. of Jordans, you would have been like, what, seven? Like delivering a paper? Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> that cameo was not needed. It added nothing and just move along. You know, uh, when I think Jordan, Justin Timberlake does not come to, to mind whatsoever. So I, I definitely agree with that. But that uh, and I don't know what you get. I'm going to ask you, when, when the show ends every night, like you're watching on Netflix, right? Yep. Yeah, so the, the different thing we get here in the States is when it ends here, it's on ESPN. And then right after they break it down and they bring on Wilbon and he talks about it. And last night they brought on uh, Charles Barkley and he got into it for a while. And it's just so fascinating to hear these guys right after they see the footage to hear their reactions to the whole thing and to share a few more stories that, that go along with it. So it, it, in a sense, there's more to the documentary than I feel you get in Canada. And well, um, it's, you know, you know, in lack bad. of any live sports, the networks, the major sports right. networks are in sports media are covering this like a sport itself. Oh, yeah. But again, it, it speaks to me why Jordan is truly the best ever, because any of the great players at the time have such a reverence for him. And even Kobe Bryant, right? right? You can see Kobe Bryant, right? You know, episode five starts off right away with him basically saying, like, listen, anything I have, I learned from him. Yeah, I, I the mainstream media here and, and all the sports writers have basically felt this documentary is quieted down the is LeBron equal to MJ. There's no more comparison. But there's there's MJ and no one else. To me, like the thing and, I enjoy the most, honestly, is that Dream Team scrimmage footage. Me too. Like you me just too. think there is a documentary on the Dream Team. Yeah, I've seen it, seen it, and it's got the same, yeah, some yeah, the same footage. It's really good. Yeah. What really we want to see is the footage right. that we never saw, where they, because uh, you know, if you if you know the backstory that right when they had that training camp, uh, the Dream Team actually scrimmaged against the college all star team that had like Bob, Bobby Hurley right. and like uh, like a bunch of our North Carolina Duke players, and they actually lost the first day. And then they came back the next day and they essentially like, like so that, that's the footage yeah. we really want to see. That's the one you want released. And also if you watch Leitner's 30 for 30, there's, there's a bit of the dream team stuff on yeah. there too, which is really good. I love that documentary 30 for 30 on Leitner. It's a good one. Um, all right. So aside from Jordan, what else you've been doing this week? What else have been doing this week? So, uh, you know, like, I, I don't know if I had told you, but my fitness routine's taken, like, like I said, a bit of a, a pivot, right? So, <laughs> Prior to COVID-19, I told you I was getting into the boxing, right? Like, obviously, not, right, so right. I'm not training to be a, a Golden Gloves boxer anytime soon. But, you know, I had been going to a boxing gym for about once a week for about a year, right? So yeah. really skill-based training. Like, you know, it's, it's a good workout. You work with a boxing coach. You're hitting a heavy bag, speed bag, like learning all the techniques and stuff. Really getting into it, um, complementing that with some weight training and running. And then that came to a grinding halt. Because I kind of knew, like, you know, like, March 13th, my last workout, or whatever, like, you know, you, you're, you're working out on the same equipment. There's probably 100 other guys have been working out that day. Like, there's no way this place is going to be open, like, for any conceivable future. So, anyway, so I had to pivot. So, signed up for a marathon uh, the end of October. So, I am yeah. a, uh, a marathon amateur in the biggest sense of the word. Like, I'm not fast, but I've completed them. Haven't done one in five years. So I've been training with uh, Patrick Bolt, who lives in uh, probably lives about 600 kilometers, you know, 400 miles from my house. But we're both kind of training for the same marathon scheduled for the end of October. Uh, but I'm mm-hmm. kind of at the point now where the, the long runs are starting to get up there, right? Like 10 miles, 
uh, 12 yeah. miles. Um, but the question we have now is going to happen, <laughs> right? So you're kind of, so, am I going to do all so this? So what if it doesn't? Well, what if it doesn't? And you're going to be prepped to run this thing. Yeah. So what are you going to do? But again, that's, you know, to run on a, the train for a marathon in any ordinary yeah. race is going to happen for sure is a uh, percent sure, 99% sure that's a hard enough endeavor. Is, uh, but now trying to mentally get my head wrapped around it when, yeah, the marathon may be there, but you may just actually just have to put your garment on and just go do it for shits and giggles, shits and giggles. Like, yeah, um, yeah. it's a bigger challenge anyway. Yeah. But, uh, and just the solitude, right? They come to do most of the training alone too right now. So. So what do you do now? Now, my wife, you know, Chris, you, you were yeah. talking to her as she trained for her first marathon, which was a huge accomplishment. She ran the Philly Marathon last year. She ran and did all her training in silence. No, no radio, no podcast, no anything. And I can't even fathom doing that. What do you do or listen to when you're running? I think it depends on the workout, like the type of workout. So certainly for a long run, um, your heartbeat's not that elevated. Like it's more for distance. So you can listen to a podcast, mm-hmm. like, right? It's not going to affect your your time but if you're doing like an interval workout or something where the heart rate's going to get a little bit more elevated and you got to put more of an effort like say a tempo run where you're you're running for time um then you want music are you and pat doing the same workout no, we're not actually we're doing completely completely separate like uh, he's he's been doing more of the peloton stuff and he's been starting to run and he's starting yeah. to increase his mileage now but uh we haven't compared notes right uh, and i think my goal like to be honest man is just to finish right like if i can finish like uh under five hours and run most of it or jog most of it that's that's a success but how many of you already finished i mean okay so the bulk of these were probably before it was 35 so you know just uh caution there when i tell you i've probably done about 15 wow you know what it's just having a goal right because going to the gym yeah yeah that's great type thing but if you don't have a specific fitness goal it's kind of like the boxing you're kind of programmed and you have you're accountable and you you kind of forces you to do more kilometers and more volume than you would on your own so do you always run alone are you part of a running club running buddy i was uh, i had a do? good running buddy um that lives not far from here but again we kind of felt what's the the social isolation stuff one of places you're getting dirty looks like you're going down the street like, yeah um which you know what uh, how about you like uh in the biking stuff are you doing most of your uh, road your road work by yourself or well, I, I told you, and this is, you know, I don't know why I'm bringing this up on the podcast, but I've got to have major hip surgery. So it's really limited a lot of what I can do. I need to get back out on the bike. I'm planning to do some things next week, but I'm heading down to Nashville. I actually had to reschedule again today uh, to see a great physician, Dr. Bird, who worked with Tua and did his hip. So I'm going to see him now um, in June, and I'm going to have to have some hip surgery done. So I'm doing pretty light things. But I've got to increase my cycling, even at a low pace, just to stay, you know, stay up on the cardio. So I've been a little lazy this week and the last week. The, the Zoom calls are wearing me out. <laughs> so I've, uh, <laughs> I've got to get back on board this train here. How many hours of so, Zoom are you doing a week? Uh, you know, it honestly depends. Uh, I was just put on a committee by the school board last week, which started today. It's going to take up a lot of my time to implement a new it's a new math and reading assessment program district-wide. So on average, you know, it's anywhere between, I don't know, a slow day is probably two and a half to three hours and a long day is maybe five. But it's just when you get off these Zoom calls, you're just mentally worn out. And I, I kind of looked into as to why. And there's been studies that have come out now saying, you know, since most of communication is nonverbal, once you're on a Zoom call, it takes all of your focus because you're not getting the nonverbal cues. So you really have to lock in mentally. And by the time you're done with an hour, you are mentally drained. 
And uh, I agree. You know, I, agree. I, I believe it. When I go back to back Zooms, I am I am really worn out. And it sounds ridiculous, right? I'm, I'm teaching elementary math or having meetings with teachers, but I am worn out. So I, I've got to get the workouts done early before the day. The thing gets is, too, it's kind of forced so. us to formalize all our interactions, right? Whereas before in the office, you could stop by somebody's cubicle for two seconds. You could go to someone's office. Uh, you can meet one-on-one, two-on-one. You can do it really quick. But now it's like everything's basically taking up white, white space in your calendar, right? So you're, <laughs> you're kind of, right, the right. day fills up with these series right. of Zoom meetings, right? The, you know, so. Right. And there's no excusing yourself. I mean, you're on a Zoom. You, you're supposed to be locked in for X amount of time, even though I, I generally have two computers side by side and I'm multitasking. But you have to be ready at, at all times to, you know, answer a question or do something with a document. So it, it's it's a challenge at times. And then, you know, two dogs in the house and they're jumping all over you. So, you know, every day is a, a bit have of you an seen adventure. You? But, you know, it, it could be worse, right? It definitely could Have you be seen the, the Dude Perfect uh, COVID-19? check it out no, <laughs> on no. youtube right. it's pretty it's pretty funny I'm gonna, I'm it's pretty funny into that you know you're speaking of you know all this zoom you know i'm a teacher and we have a lot of teacher friends i do know they're talking about reopening the schools in quebec yeah Is so the correct? one province uh in canada right so we're 10 provinces three territories for those in the u.s mm-hmm. so quebec is the second second biggest province um they're set to open elementary schools it was supposed to be may 11th which is next monday but they've pushed it back a week, apparently. May 18th. May 18th. And this is, so this is just business as usual. All teachers, all students, let's go. Let's uh, get it back is, at it. but they've put in like social distancing measures within the, or supposed to be, um, you know, in the implementing levels of different levels of social distancing within the actual physical space. But again, the devil's in the details. And I think even while many parents would say, okay, I understand kind of the rationale why they're doing this. Um, I, there's pretty much consensus. They haven't equipped the school boards or the teachers with the requisite information and blueprint and, and equipment to kind of implement this properly. So if you ask my opinion, right. if I'm a gambling man, um, I probably don't see, uh, th- this happening, right? Like if, if Michael Jordan was <laughs> gambling on this, probably right, gambling, right. it's probably not going to happen. I think they're going to get pushed back. If you don't win over the school boards and the professionals are actually working in the building, it's going to be very hard to right. convince parents to send their kids into a, potentially unsafe environment i mean how do you social distance on a bus or you know you have 28 30 kids in a classroom you're supposed to be six feet apart it it all i don't know it sounds good but until you get in there and you see it and you live it it, it's not feasible however you know myself being a teacher as well something has to be done because we're already having meetings about starting the school year you know distance learning and uh, i don't know i i don't know how this is going to work so However, you know, I say that, but Virginia's starting to open up other things. So they're going to say restaurants are open, uh, you know, stores are open, but schools are closed. So to me, it's all or nothing. We're all quarantined or we're all open. It's just, yeah, like, it's, it's a tough like situation right now. Right here, now. For, if you're a business that's got a storefront entrance, like not a mall, like not an interior mall, but you actually have a, a storefront entrance uh, like out into the street, you can, uh, mm-hmm. you can open in limited capacity. So retail, right? So mostly retail. Restaurants and bars right. are still closed, obviously. Um, but uh, the retail retail stores are, are starting to open slowly. See, the bars here in Old Town, you've been here in Alexandria, Old Town. A couple of them have essentially alcohol pickup on the sidewalk. So people congregate and they have a beer or two sitting out. It's, a, it's like an outdoor bar on the sidewalk. So the social distancing is starting to evaporate, at least where I live. And it you know, again, it has to be all or nothing and it can't be social distancing for some and others kind of do what they want. 
So I don't know where this is going to go over the next few months, but it, it's, it's tough, it's man. Like I think World Health Organization said like yeah. you're supposed to have 14 days of decreased uh, like incident rates, right? Like uh, illness in illness. right. So right. It's like I don't think we've seen that in many jurisdictions, right? So it's, uh, but you know, right. And then the other thing, you know, you and I spoke, not spoke, you know, we didn't speak, but I, we sent each other a text the other day, and you know, I have some friends quoting me some stats from CDC and so forth, but CDC, those stats are seven, eight days old, and you know, unless you're using current stats, I, I can't really listen to your arguments, and you know, the only stats I believe in are World Health or John Hopkins. Yeah. You know, but that's where social media kind of skews everybody's opinion because all different kinds of numbers and opinions are thrown out there and no one knows well, what it's to also believe too, it's anymore. Like, yeah, there's no standardization getting... how the, the tests, the number of right. tests that are in the tests that are being deployed, right? How they're being deployed, how it's, right. you know, so there's no, right. you know, standard measure. Right. Right. All right. So what else? What else am I watching? I just finished the series Waco on Netflix. So yeah, yeah, pretty good, what do you, you know. Think? So you remember, like you guys, were, you and I were both probably in our early twenties when the Branch Davidians took over the compound in Waco, and the FBI kind of mm-hmm. had a less, you know, less than successful, uh, actually pretty tragic, uh, you know, finish to the situation. Um, so yeah, so it's like a six, six or seven part series. Um, Netflix does this pretty good, kind of like the you know they did the Unabomber one as well. So you kind of see both sides goes back and forth between the negotiators and the tactical team and the FBI. And the actual Branch Davidians. So yeah. um, David Koresh, who actually led the, the Branch Davidians, uh, is actually played by uh, Taylor Klitsch. So from, you remember the Riggins character from Friday Night Lights? Actually right, lost right. a pile of weight, changed himself physically. Actually doing a pretty good job. And I kind of said, it was kind of funny because he said, if you know if there was one character from Friday Night Lights who was going to, you, you could see as a charismatic leader of a cult. <laughs> like Riggins, you know, like guys, you, know, guy. you think about it, like you know, it could have been a potential spinoff, right? Like you know, Waco is like 250 miles, like you know, like east right. of uh, Midland, Texas, where like you know, uh, where uh, the Dillon Panthers are supposed to have played, right? So they can almost see a right, you know, right. uh, version where they're kind of you know, Riggins is holed up in 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 the compound in Waco, and they got to send in Coach Taylor, like with a you know, like a. <laughs> a blue FBI like windbreaker like talk him out of there like right. you know, got Lila Garrity in there and uh, he's refusing to come out so yeah anyway so you so yeah. you finished that so what's going to uh, be next what else what else am I watching I started uh, uh, what did I start there uh, Pinky Blinders Pinky Blinders am I saying that right yeah so oh, yeah. British okay. series okay. not yeah. bad it's good like good story yeah. uh, I, the, there's a lot of muddled accents in there like you got Sam Neill, who's Australian, yeah. and he's kind of like supposed to be British, but you're not sure if he's Irish. Like it's like, so um, and mm-hmm. the soundtrack's kind of contemporary soundtrack, which doesn't fit well for a period piece, but the story's good, and it's, right. it's moving along. I'm gonna be honest. I tried to get into it a little while ago. The accents threw me off early, and I know you know I love accents. I love foreign you know drama, whatever subtitles and so forth. But it just threw me. I just couldn't get into it, and I uh, I stopped watching. I know the storyline's supposed to be amazing, so it might be a future watch. But I will tell you, I, I blocked into something the other day, which I highly recommend, called The Last Kingdom. That's like a medieval, medieval series, right? Uh, medieval. You know, it's been described as Game of Thrones without the dragons. I, I'd be honest, I'm one of the few people that have never seen a Game of Thrones episode. But uh, it's, it's essentially about the Danes invading England. And um, there's one protagonist, Uhtred, who was, you know, his family was killed by the Danes early in a raid. And he was spared and raised by the Danes until, you know, being a young adult. And he sort of goes through, 
you know, conflicts as to who he really is. is you know, is he a Brit? Is, is he a Dane? And it, it's the story of him and, and how he's trying to regain his life. And it, it's fantastic. The battle scenes are great. Stories are great. And if you like revenge type stories, it, it's, it's fantastic. So I, I can't recommend All it enough, right. The Last Kingdom. And then, you know, I said I physically wasn't doing a lot. I, I kind of switched over. So I'm watching The Last Kingdom. And then I started upping my reading this week. So I'm going to give you a, a book recommendation. And I'm not a big science fiction guy, but here's one that had great reviews. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll take a chance on it. It's called Wool, okay. W-O-O-L. Uh, the author is Hugh Howie. And it's, uh, it's like post-apocalyptic. You don't really know what caused the apocalypse but it's about a community that lives underground in a giant silo and um it, it's it's a taboo to speak of ever leaving the silo and if you were to even speak of it you're put to death now i i don't know much else about it there's you know from what i've read in the first 150 pages every um main character died so you know you're just it kind of restarts itself uh, a quarter of the way in but there's foreshadowing of, of an uprising and, and how this community is supposed to escape the silo. But it's, it's a good book. Highly recommend <laughs> it. Hey, it. You know, is it there, post-apocalyptic. Uh, what happened? We might be on our way there. Down or what? Like... <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. You just know apparently the outside world is toxic. So you're assuming it's post-nuclear war or, or some sort of, you know, Whoa. pandemic, whatever it may be. But they can't yeah, last, go outside. Last Kingdom yeah. was on my yeah, list. Highly recommend so I'll knock that off at some point. Yeah, definitely. Well, our friend uh, Bob Stagg just started watching it, and uh, another friend of mine from Ch- Chicago, Troy McAllister. I like medieval, man. I like, like historical it. stuff, but so, it's got to be grounded in some reality. Like, yeah, I'm like you. If I see it, if I see a dragon or I see right. something, like a mom out, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's none of that. No, no, uh, you know, sorcery or dragons or any of that. So it, it's really good. Just good story based action. I saw that. I've been watching some of the NFL timelines that they've been putting on the NFL Network. Did you ever see the Peyton, yeah. Peyton Manning summer school one done in 2013? So Peyton Manning, nope. Eli Manning in 2013, when basically Peyton was coming off neck surgery before he went to play for the Broncos, grabbed a bunch of Bronco receivers right. and Eli grabbed some Giants receivers and they went down to the University of Duke to work with Coach Cutcliffe, who was uh, Eli. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there is OC. Uh, OC right? there. So um, yeah. really interesting to see. Like it sounds kind of boring, but if you're a football, like as a football coach, right, you see Peyton and Eli working with Coach Cutcliffe in detail, and you see all the drills they're working on and working with the receivers and just the level of professionalism, right? Like the work that goes into preparing for an NFL season. Um, and, you know, again, for Peyton coming off the injury, right? They've got that whole dynamic as well. So him, Kim kind of gets the odds. Like mm-hmm. no one said he could come back. And, he, and essentially you see the work that he's – and the prep work that he's doing to kind of prepare himself to get him get himself game ready for the season. So Interesting. Uh, um you know, speaking of another documentary, do you know about the Alex Smith one on the E60? No. Have you heard about that one? Wow. Apparently, I haven't watched it. I, I don't deal well with gruesome injuries, but obviously, you know. And a femur. You know, Didn't he have um, femur? Femur. Quarterback here, Alex Smith. Yeah. He, he had uh, a spiral fracture. Anyway, apparently it was, it was absolutely terrible to the point where they had to send him down where um, the guys who come back from Afghanistan have to, those doctors. Have last injury. Up my minds. So he was taken down, yeah, blast injuries. And it's the story of him and how he almost had his leg amputated and the multiple surgeries and, and what he went through to overcome this. And the word out is that it's absolutely incredible. So if, if you get a chance, if there's a way for you to watch it, it, apparently it's great. I don't think I can watch it, but Chris, my wife, is, is definitely Thanks. up for it. 
So just another thing to put on your I'll list. I'll tell you what I'm not watching. <laughs> he's like, he's like, man, in Canada, like, I love, love Canadians, man. Like, it's like, you know, like Canada, Canadians, we have a lot of great artists. We got, like, you know, Arcade Fire. We got the Arkells. We got all kinds of good music. We got great actors. We got great film producers, directors. But, man, this, like, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, like CBC, like, some of the stuff they're putting on, like, it's like, <laughs> it's not watchable, man. If I get to see, like, they got an astronaut here, Chris Hatfield, like, I got constantly... Constantly right, seeing right. with the ukulele actually, doing some yeah. kind of, you know, like version like, of his favorite songs, like a David Bowie song. It's like, okay, enough already, right? Like, well, I mean, you should be you should be into hockey playoffs right now. So there's nothing else going man, on. Buddy. Listen, the, the equivalent, our equivalent of the ESPN, like TSN, you look, so they got four different versions of it, like ESPN one, two, three, four, like TSN one, two, three, four, right? On a right. random Saturday afternoon, right. if you're lucky, you get one thirty for 30. You get uh, a curling championship okay. from like a past season. You'll get a women's hockey, right? And maybe you'll get like a Spengler Cup or something like like another, which is like you know, like from like like a past <laughs> season. Right? Like, it's painful, man. It's painful. Oh, can you can you pay? Like I don't know, but can you pay for ESPN you cannot, or ESPN You have to get plus? like a, an IP a US, yeah, like a US IP. A VPN. You might have to do that. You you may have to do that because the ESPN Plus, you know, it's not expensive. I think it's. I don't know, seven ninety nine a month or whatever it is, but you get the whole library, the whole thirty for thirty library. Uh, that, that might be worth. My it hope is with the, uh, VPN, the Disney buddy. streaming service, they would have kept all the ESPN stuff. Like it's all G rated content anyway, right? You think they would have just thrown that in? Hey, speaking of, uh, may the fourth be with you. <laughs> so have you been? Have you been following it all? Like on the on the, the whole thing in Florida and Disney, right there in, in Star Wars, like. Have you been following any of the NFL stuff, right. like what their plans are for the upcoming season? You know, I heard some things today. They're announcing the schedule as planned. They're getting rid of all international games, right? There were supposed to be 10 games, you know, in Europe and Mexico City. Those are going to be done with, but they're planning to go ahead as planned. The, the thing that's intriguing to me more so than the NFL is what I heard this week, is that the SEC, college football, said 100% we're having a football season. We don't care if anyone else plays, but the SEC is playing football. Now, can you imagine if they were the only game on, right? And the players are going to play, right? This is the only avenue to get to the NFL. So they're going to play. Maybe the stadiums are empty. Maybe they're not. But the SEC is playing football. The ratings would be through the roof. I don't know. They crown their own national champion. I I don't know how this is going to work. But, you know, they're saying we don't need the NCAA. Makes we sense. are going Maybe do we need season. to play a bunch of useless games against some other out-of-conference games that don't mean anything? Like, at the end of the day, you right. know, would anyone cry, right. cry a foul if we just said, okay, Clemson, Alabama, LSU, and uh, Georgia? Like, we're just going right. to play a one, like one winner, winner takes all type thing? Well, I think this is really going to change NCAA and, and college football. I think we're going to see some teams drop off. You know, they just can't sustain money-wise. And and teams are and conferences are going to realize we don't need the NCAA. I, I think when we get through this, we're going to see some big changes. They also made a rule the other day where athletes can get paid. So this is a huge can of worms, right? You're an athlete, and Alabama says, "Hey, come work at my whatever Burger King, and we'll pay you hundred grand a year, right? We'll put your your face on a few posters. Come be the quarterback at Alabama." So this is going to affect recruiting. It's going to change college football. I think schools, schools eventually. Uh, I don't know where we're headed. Do they want to be like a pure academic institution in the pure sense of the word, or you know, do they accept? Okay, their their sports program is what it's been for a long time, right? It's basically a 
development for de developmental space for professional athletes who aren't really students. Well, and that's true. And that, I mean, it is that for football. And, you know, I, I don't know what the new NBA league, league is, G -League. D league or G league, G league. And they just took University of Michigan's top two recruits and they're going to play professionally coming out of high school for a year and then go to the NBA. I mean, what's the difference if they're so doing that compared to doing read, that at the University of Kentucky or doing that like suburban, suburban well, town? I right? mean, we're saying, yeah, but they're getting paid, right? So that's, they're getting paid. And now it's, changing college basketball where guys don't want to recruit the one and done athletes anymore so the whole ncaa basketball league is completely diluted right the one and done kids are just gone and now with this new league they won't even show up for a year i don't know man it's like yeah, so, i mean you know the nba there's like i think there's like on average 40 available spots on each on across all the nba rosters each year so it's you know they're gonna make right, right. there's not many there's not many yeah. but if you are a top five top yeah. ten guy you know, it's, it's the way to go. I mean, I don't know. The college experience is something that it, some people obviously would enjoy, but it's going to be interesting to see, talks, like, I think right? Adam Silver's got the, like at the NBA has got the best chance of orchestrating some form of NBA playoffs this summer, just because logistically, I think basketball is a lot yeah. there's less people involved. There's less infrastructure involved, but some of the, so what would you think about this? This was something that was thrown out yesterday on one of the, I don't know, podcasts or whatever. Maybe they thought put all the teams in the playoffs, 30 teams, the top maybe four, six, eight, whatever it may be, have a bye, but it's a one-game, like, NCAA-type well, tournament. I think the appeal, right, because you have teams that are on, like, on the bubble, like New Orleans, right? Like, the Pelicans, right? They have Zion. Mm -hmm. uh, they got Zion back midseason. They were making up. They were becoming one of the more exciting teams and making a push for that eighth playoff spot, right? So there's going mm -hmm. to be – people are going to want to see an effort to encapsulate those, those teams, right? Like the Brooklyn Nets, same thing. Durant comes back. Okay, let's try and like get them in right somehow. Um, I, I think they'd have to give some preferential mm -hmm. uh, benefit to uh, the teams that finish strong in, in the, both in the East and the West. Um, but right. again, how many logistically right. can we do this for all teams? Like I, one of the ideas that I've heard is like, okay, they're going to have four four locations, right? Like across the U.S. Like uh, and why mm -hmm. I mentioned ESPN and Disney, right? Like if you ever been to the, uh, the ESPN Sports Complex in Orlando, it's basically designed right. just for that right to have multiple like you know multiple game tournaments you could essentially have like eight teams staying there for in confinement for like a you know like a five six week period you can whittle that down to the you know the top two teams and then you could do that at different sites like across the country and then bring them into like a some sort of central space right to have the like the, the semifinals and finals right I mean, it's it's intriguing. I, I personally don't see it happening, but it's it's definitely intriguing. Ratings it's, uh, through the roof. You heard like you know, some media um, people I, like listen to one of the podcasts. And they said like for the NFL, the money is just so great, they will find a way. Like yeah, where the television, right. where the television revenue, right. they'll find a way. Makes it beneficial and still makes it profitable. You know, a lot of those owners like you get like a Dave Tepper like from Carolina or Jerry Jones. Like Jerry Jones at Jerry World, he's got four football fields. At that at that complex, right, right. Like in down in Dallas, right. So they have the ability to do it. It's just finding a way to kind of do it, do it safe, and they do it. On... Well, and you you saw what the NHL tried. You know, they announced the other day we're going to have NHL playoffs, and Trudeau said, yeah. "I don't think it's going to work that way." Right, he's going to quarantine any international player coming in. So that that got shut down pretty quickly. Luckily, well, I don't know, luckily, but you know, NHL is really the only multi-nation sport aside from the Toronto it's tough Raptors. man i mean so yeah and i mean one of the issues so too right like the nba ahead. practice facilities were supposed to be opened up last week 
where you could have two players at a time right on right. a court and basically they'd make it open, you know, open it up, whatever, 12 hours a day and players could cycle in and mm-hmm. out. But again, we're asking small businesses to close their doors. So local bar owner basically say, you right. know, take one for the team. Uh, you know, you might not survive uh, COVID-19, but you know, millionaire players and, mm-hmm. and owners, we're going to avail, you know, you're, we're going to make available to you uh, your practice complex. It's a hard pill to swallow for some, if you're not an NBA fan. But you get the sentimental yeah. value of sports and kind of the, you know, the effect on our mental psyche. But I think, you know, there's a lot of issues we'd have to think about that. Yeah, and I think we were lucky. The NFL went ahead with the draft. I think we're lucky that we've got the documentary, the Michael Jordan. But I think once this ends in two weeks, you know, yeah. it's going to be crickets for a while. And people CFL are going to get just desperate made a pitch. for sport. They want 100, 100, 150. <laughs> yeah, if I got a deal for you. Yeah. Yeah, what a uh, 150 We're million the feds like the federal government in Canada. Like the, but again, they don't have the television <laughs> revenue. They're almost like you know the, the big part of their profit is gate receipts, you know, right? So, I, I, as as a you know as a human being, I can't see any money going to, from any government to any sport league no. at this point. Right? There's too many other issues going on with this. So you know, full die whatever it may be, but I can't justify a penny Agreed. going to sport right now. And that's just my opinion. All right, buddy. Well, let's wrap this one up. Next week, we'll have uh, our buddy Sean on. And uh, I look forward to talking to you, buddy. So from D.C., Jeff signing out.